Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us about Christmas year-round. Amen. Well, on Christmas Day, before anybody shows up for worship, Kayla and I and Nancy show up, and we scrape up the wax from the candles. We uh, sweep up the cookie crumbs and the tinsel. We vacuum up the pine needles and the tinsel droppings. Now, on January 8th, uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, we'll come and take all the Christmas decorations down so that when you arrive on January 15th, you won't even know that Christmas had taken place. Well, you would almost never know, except if you look carefully in the corners and run your hand across the carpet and let your gaze stop for a moment in the bump outs or up in the altar area in the corners, uh, you will find pine needles, both real and plastic, mm, angel glitter, tiny pieces of hay, which, by the way, I want to put a personal shout out to Mickey the Percheron who loaned us some of his breakfast for the hay for the manger, uh, and then there's annoying ornament hangy things. Now, over the next 11 months, we will sweep, mop, vacuum over and over again, work days and other days. And yet, when we go to set things up for next Christmas, so a year from now, we will still find remnants, not just from the previous year, but who knows how many years uh, that they are left from. See, that's the real magic of Christmas. There is always something left behind, no matter how deep you think you clean. Well, I have to admit, we've never found pieces of Christmas cookies or fudge the next year. But the year after Easter, we have discovered Easter eggs that had what was left of the chocolate. Well, I, yeah. Now, there's a theological point to this. See, when I come across glitter or pine needles or hay, I think of the wise men. We don't know exactly when they arrived. The only clue that we really have is Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem, but there is finally room for them in the inn because the Bible says that they're now in a house. However, we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's actually next week's story. This week, the scripture lessons are out of sequence, and the lessons are about what happened after the wise men arrived. So, so if you were listening to the gospel lesson, you heard you know, when they left. Well, the they are the wise men. So it's kind of like watching Star Wars Episode Four in 1978 and then having to wait until 2005 for Episode Three. You know what's going to happen, you just don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, fortunately for you, you don't have to wait 27 years. You're only going to have to wait one week. Now, the Hebrew word for wise men is chakam, and we see it several times in the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Daniel, who, if you'll remember, you know, gets kidnapped and taken there and, and winds up being the chief wise men. The wise men were advisors to the king, and they walked a fine line between reality and the mystical. Uh, they read the stars and the seasons. They looked for connections. They weren't really spiritual. They were more naturalists. Now, long before there were weather apps and Doppler radar, when I was working with my dad on a construction site or at my uncle's ranch, they would suddenly come to me, they'd be looking around, and they'd say, pick up the tools. It's going to rain or it's going to hail in 20 minutes. Now, I'd look around, and I had no idea what they were talking about. And yet, 20 minutes later, sure enough, it was raining or, or hailing. When I got older, they would point out the various things in the clouds or the changes of the temperature or the wind direction. I still couldn't see it, but that's how they knew. The wisdom, the wise men had all the wisdom and the experiences of the wise men before them, and then they very clearly wrote it down and passed it on to the generations that would come after them. They were like Google, just without all the fancy technology. In the Greek, the word for wise men would be sophi andres, but that's not the word in our text. Our word is magus, which we get magi from. 
This gives us some very important information because the Magi weren't just wise men. They were actually the priestly caste of the Medes and the Persians. So in addition to the nature and the cosmos, they actually added a spiritual side to the cosmos and the nature, which means they did not nor could they separate the church and the state. Things weren't just natural. They were also spiritual. Now, we don't have a record of who they checked with or if they had to get permission. Did they have to fill out a Form 1076A to get permission to use the government's camels? Um, did they uh, finance the trip themselves, get a mileage reimbursement or a per diem? Uh, none of that's included in, in Matthew's gospel. But because of their relationship with the king, because they were official advisors, we know they didn't just jump up and ride thousands of miles to Jerusalem without telling anyone. Because they would be considered emissaries of another nation, it made also sense for them to both announce themselves to the king, meaning King Herod, and let him know why they were there, and basically asking directions with the assumption that if, you know, a king had been born in Israel, that the king that was there, King Herod, would know about it. This is where we back up to Isaiah 16, and this is what the prophet wrote long time before this day. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brightness of your radiance. Caravans of camels will cover your land. Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them will come from Sheba. They will carry gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of the Lord. Now, Midian was one of Abraham's sons. Most notably, uh, this land is where Moses met his wife Zipporah, who, by the way, happened to be one of the daughter of the priest of Midian. Sheba, mm, it's a land that dates all the way back to Moses, and some traditions hold it's named after Moses' first wife, uh, back when he was still the prince of Egypt, before everything happened that happened, and he wound up leading God's people out. Oh, and then there's Ephah. Ephah was a grandson of Abraham, and his people are actually found in secular history books as far back as 800 B.C. All right, now... Sheba's claim to fame is found in 1 Kings 10, when the Queen of Sheba travels to Jerusalem to ask King Solomon some questions, and it says she arrives with a large caravan filled with precious stones, spices, and gold as a tribute in payment of her being able to ask Solomon, who was the wisest person ever to live, all of her questions. Now, Ethiopia, Yemen, and Iran have all claimed to be the location of Sheba, although we can't prove exactly. Um, meanwhile, uh, Midian was definitely southern Iran, and Ephah was somewhere along the spice trade route. We just don't know exactly where. All of this is corroborated by the Magi who say, well, we saw his star when we were in the east. And, and all of those places that we were talking about are east of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. I'm getting ahead of myself again. We'll talk more about this next week. Now, the Magi, and there may have been three of them, and, and a lot of people think that because there were three gifts and each one brought a gift. Or it's possible that, that uh, Martin Sheen was right and there were four wise men. Or if we go to Isaiah's prophecy that says herds or caravans of camels, meaning a lot of camels, would cover the land, it's possible that there were a lot of wise men or Magi. Now, there are two reasons for the Magi to show up. The first is to fulfill the prophecies and announce that God has sent a Savior, not just for a small tribe of individuals, but rather for the whole world. And second, to set in motion a series of events to remind us just how necessary a Savior is. Note the sequence of events in Matthew's Gospel. The Magi see a celestial event. They recognize it. They gather some specific gifts, and they start their journey. Now, 
when it says, by the way, that Herod killed all the babies two years and under, all the boy babies two years and under, uh, we're pretty sure that uh, he didn't cut it that fine, which is why, you know, you'll hear people say that the wise men showed up two years later. Uh, it's quite possible it was a lot less than that. He would have built in a buffer, so maybe a year. But also, we don't know how long it took the wise men to figure everything out and get there. So this is why it's all a little murky as to exactly when they showed up and when they left and how long it took them to get there. But when the Magi show up in Jerusalem, they ask, where is he who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when we were in the east, and we've come to worship him. Word filters back to King Herod that someone's looking for the Messiah. He gathers his religious advisors and says, so theoretically, if a Messiah was born, where would he be born? And of course, the priests immediately say, well, it says right here, Bethlehem. And uh, then... King Herod secretly sends for the Magi to find out what they know. Notice the whole secretly thing. He, he doesn't want word getting out. He, he wants to take care of this before anybody realizes what has happened. And all along it says, Herod was greatly troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. doesn't take much to figure out what that means. Now, if last Sunday was all about candy canes, hot chocolate, and a baby, and sheep in a manger, and angels singing, this Sunday is very, very different. Last Saturday night and Sunday morning, it was a hallmark moment. Soft focus, background music, smiles all around. Uh, the closest we got to reality was when St. John said, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never overcome it. He kept it nice and simple. Darkness is a metaphor, a simile or analogy. I can never keep those straight. Uh, which this darkness wasn't strong enough or real enough to break the peaceful trance of Christmas Eve candlelight. We all took a deep breath and said, ah. This Sunday, it's like we're in one of those luxury buses, you know, and we got a giant decal on the side of the bus that says the word made flesh is express. And God is driving us down a long straight highway at 80 miles an hour while we all hold our candles and sing Christmas carols and eat those chocolate covered peanut butter balls. And we're just, just loving the moment. We're just reliving Christmas Eve over and over again. But suddenly God slams on the brakes, throws us all over the bus, and when we come to a stop, we are covered in Christmas cookies and cider and tinsel and blood. And we yell at God, you know, why did we stop? You see, this Sunday the church veers sharply from the rest of the world's Christmas celebration. Last week, even those who don't believe in God were singing along with the, you know, the hymns blaring through all of the loudspeakers, Christ the Savior is born, Christ the Savior is born. But most didn't bother to ask or don't want to know a Savior from what. And now Christmas has passed and so is New Year's, which means their hearts are already set on Valentine's Day. But those of us who are followers of Jesus, not just on Christmas, but all year round, we know the silent night would lead us to this moment. We know we need a Savior. And maybe on Christmas Eve, we gave ourselves a few hours of peace and joy and candlelight to forget the real world, but we also knew it couldn't last at least not while we're still earthbound. Nancy and I went for a walk out at Koalina this week, and we were passing the early morning yoga group, and I heard the, the leader continually yelling at the people, don't forget to breathe. Don't forget to breathe. It seems like a rather, rather silly thing to say, except I have to admit, I, I say the same thing at, at, at wedding rehearsals. Uh, the bride and the groom, the groomsmen and the bridesmaids, they're all standing there, and I know that that night they're having fun, but the next day some of them get really nervous. And, and I remind them, I say, you know, bend your knees just a little bit and keep breathing throughout the entire ceremony. And they laugh at me. And, and then the next day, 
I'll be standing there and I'll look into their eyes and realize that they've stopped breathing and they see the expression on my face and they laugh again and this time they go and they take a, a deep breath and they realize it, 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 you know, it's going to be okay. Sometimes we do forget to breathe. I mean, obviously not very often, otherwise we wouldn't be alive, but, but it does happen. Christmas is one of those moments where God says, don't forget to breathe. And we laugh. And then the next week when we read the gospel lesson and we stop breathing, God looks at us and we remember Christmas Eve and we take a deep breath. In the 21st chapter of Luke, this is one of the Advent scripture lessons. It says, then there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among nations, bewildered by roaring seas and waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. I'll be honest. I'm not nearly as worried about the sun and the moon and the stars and the roaring waves as I am about somebody like King Herod killing off an entire generation of boy babies. I can't do anything about the sun, moon, stars, or roaring waves. So when my phone says ballistic missile inbound, take cover, and I know that taking cover isn't going to do any good, I go out in the parking lot, seeing if I can be the first one to spot it. Or as I told my daughter Katie, who was up at uh, Lonnie Kai Pillbox, see if you can get a picture uploaded to Facebook before it hits. You see, if the sun burns out, the moon splits in two, or the stars start rearranging themselves in the sky, I'll just go out and enjoy it while I can, because it's going to be quite a show. But the story of the Holy Innocents... It's just a little too close to the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook or the six-month anniversary of Uvalde. Life is precious. Life is fragile. Life is complicated. And every time I read an article or hear someone say, you know, the slaughter of the Holy Innocents never happened, I actually cry. See, if today's headlines aren't enough to prove that it's possible, maybe it would help to know that secular historical records point out that King Herod killed his favorite wife. Uh, their two sons, her brother, her grandfather, and her mother, just because he was jealous. In other words, if we need to prove that he was the kind of person to do exactly what he did, there's no doubt. Here's the simple lesson from our lessons. We need a Savior. We need a Savior from sin and death and pain and loss and, and a million other things. We may find moments and days where we forget that, but when the news hits us so hard in the stomach that the breath is knocked out of us, or as Jesus said, we faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world, the best advice that anyone can give us is to remember to breathe and to keep breathing. In Genesis, God breathed into mud to bring us to life. The prophet Ezekiel had this vision of a valley of dry bones, and God breathes into them, and they, they not only begin to rise and, and live, but they start to dance. When Jesus was on the cross, right after he said, it is finished, the Bible, Bible says he breathed his last, and he gave up his spirit. But three days later, the resurrected Christ, nail holes still in his hands and his feet, but very much alive and very much breathing, he appeared to his disciples, and he said, peace be with you. And then it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's what Christmas does for us. When we faint from fear of what has happened or what we're afraid is going to happen, when we read headlines that knock the breath out of us, Jesus speaks peace to us and he breathes on us. 
And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. We are a people who can forget to breathe. And we are very prone to having the breath knocked out of us. And maybe that's why no matter how hard we try, no matter how well we clean, there is always a piece of tinsel or glitter or hay or those annoying little ornament hangy things in the carpet or in the corners of the room or under the couch because they remind us about Christmas. They remind us the Word became flesh and they remind us to keep breathing in, even in the midst of everything because the darkness is never going to conquer the light. Don't forget to breathe, God says. Don't forget no matter how bad things are, no matter how many King Herods are in the world, you have a Savior. And then God gives us, of all things, a math lesson. You see, what, what Herod was trying to do was add a few more years to his life, a, a few more years of power and glory and naming things after himself. And trust me, there were a lot of things he named after himself. And, you know, he was afraid of a king in diapers, which sounds a little strange. And so he killed off an entire generation of baby boys thinking that he could add a few more days to his life. By the way, he wound up dying within a few months. Meanwhile, those little babies who never got to grow up, but neither did they experience any of the pain or the loss or the things that are so terrible about this life and this world. They were drawn into the arms of their Savior. Their, their official title, by the way, are the Holy Innocents. And while much can be said and much should be made of all that they missed in this world, and especially those who missed them, who had empty cradles and plans and dreams, even if they had lived 90 years, when you add 90 years to eternity, I think you get the point, which is the whole reason that the Word was made flesh. So that no matter how many years we live or don't live on this earth, when we add that number to eternity, we suddenly realize what really matters. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.